Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Tuesday, September 13th edition of the Basement Academy. Our morning psalm is a short one. It is one of the pilgrim psalms, and this seems to fit well with our topic. Discipleship amid disagreement, particularly around theological disagreement or differences that we may have in our various denominations. And so Psalm 133 begins this way, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Hmm. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Short and sweet, just three verses. The unity of God's people as they make their journey to Jerusalem for worship, and then gathering their sisters and brothers gathered under the grace of a gracious God. Uh, dwelling together in unity, would that it would be so. And so part of what this particular section of our study, so the first uh, couple lessons, uh, first couple weeks were around discipleship, the yoke of, of Jesus bearing that yoke, etc. Discipleship is apprenticeship. And now for this week and next week, we're going to talk about denominations, kind of denominational differences. So can we find a unity as the people of God, even though we have differences among us? Okay, so um, yesterday introduced this notion of a very brief history of denominations that in a sense you could say uh, theological differences, so differences of belief and behavior and practice have existed for a very long time. This is not a new phenomenon. Judaism itself had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Zealots, and so there were these various camps. And then early on, the early church it was facing this. In, the, in 1 Corinthians 1, we read, you know, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. Well, I follow Christ. And so there's something in us that tumbles into various camps or tribes. I, I do trace it back somewhat to the, to the fall, right? That this kind of moral ideological tribalism comes because we all feel we're right. That doesn't disappear once we become Christians. That the sin nature that, that wants to be right, that doubles down on that and then forms tribes, that continues to exist even in a state of grace, right? When we come to know the Lord. Okay, well, let's continue our brief history of denominations. And so as the early church gets going, we find a primacy or the priority of the Bishop of Rome. And so Peter, so uh, Jesus says to Peter, I will build, you are Peter, you are rock, all right? And I will build my church on this foundation, on this rock, or on you, okay? And so there's, again, differences of opinion what Jesus was saying. So our Roman Catholic friends trace back 
uh, the keys of the kingdom as were being given to Peter. And so they trace through Peter a succession of leadership. And so we find in the early church, Rome as a significant center of religious authority. Okay. And so <clears throat> the Roman Catholic Church traces its lineage there and its priority that we are the primary church. Um, in the early 300s, Emperor Constantine is converted to Christianity or converts to Christianity. And he declares Christianity to be the religion of the realm of the Roman Empire. And so what we would call Istanbul, Constantinople, okay, it becomes a significant center of religious authority. So you now you have the Bishop of Constantinople. And so you've got various, of course, the, the church is spreading about, right? And so you still have Jerusalem, church in Jerusalem. You've got Antioch, you've got uh, Constantinople, you've got Rome. And so you have these various centers of religious uh, activity and authority. And so there is a measure of cooperation. But again, you know, the world isn't as it is today. You don't communicate and travel about quite so quickly. And so you have what forms kind of religious traditions around these various um centers of authority. In Egypt and Alexandria, you find uh, the same. Uh, Augustine is down in Egypt. Um, and so what you have is a, a situation where religious traditions begin to form. Um, if we can skip over a lot of history, <laughs> we get to 1054 A.D., and what ends up happening is what's known as the Great Schism or Great Schism of 1054, which sees the formation of Western Christianity and Eastern Christianity. Okay, Western Christianity following the Bishop of Rome, Eastern Christianity following uh, the Bishop of Constantinople. And so the Eastern Orthodox Church is born then, but it really goes further back, of course, but that, that great split. And there were issues, there were theological issues that stand behind that. Um, we hear them and we think, you know, that's worth fighting over. Does the Spirit, Holy Spirit that we've been studying on Sunday mornings at Greenwich, does the Holy Spirit proceed from the Father alone or the Father and the Son? You're thinking, uh, does it make a difference? Well, back then they thought it did. But it might have been that we teach this, you teach that. We think we're right, you think you're right. Let's go our separate ways. Okay, the filioque clause. Um, should you use leavened or unleavened bread in communion? Unleavened bread would have been more true to uh, in Jesus' day, right? The Passover meal. Leaven bread, like we eat at Greenwich. Um, does it really make a difference whether it's leavened or unleavened bread? You know, our minds think, oh, you know, that's worth fighting over. 
well, I think I'm right. You think you're right. Let's go our separate ways. And then, of course, the issue of leadership. Who is, who is primary, the Bishop of Rome or the Bishop of Constantinople? I think I'm right. You think you're right. Let's go our separate ways, okay? And so you have that in 1054. And then, of course, most of us are a little more familiar with the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther in 1517. He's a Roman Catholic monk. Um, he, he wants to have a debate, a theological debate over issues that are happening and being taught and practiced in the Roman Catholic Church. And he wishes to debate the church fathers about that, the, the church leaders. And um, they don't like what he's saying. And over a period of years, he essentially is told to recant his views, renounce your views and what you're teaching, or we will excommunicate you. To be excommunicated is you are out of communion. You may not receive communion uh, at the church. So you are considered uh, a member not in good standing, right? And so the Protestant Reformation traces itself to that. The These who are protesting. Um, and so there were, again, theological issues and practices uh, that were at play. Uh, what authority do we afford to the scripture, to the Bible? Um, salvation by grace through faith alone. Um, there was a practice in the Roman Catholic Church at that time of selling indulgences, kind of a funny little word, but basically the teaching of the church was uh, purgatory, right, is is. Uh, an official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. That is, after you die, you go to a place not yet to heaven or not yet to hell, purgatory. And so you could pray for souls in purgatory that they would have their sins removed, a number of sins removed. And then, so you could, they were selling indulgences. That is, you could buy a discount. It's kind of a crazy way of saying it but you could, a loved one dies, you could purchase an indulgence. The church would sell an indulgence and then that would allow X number of sins to be remitted, which would get them to heaven quicker. I think I'm right. You think you're right. Let's go our separate ways. And so the Protestant Reformation uh, is kind of a shorthand way of talking about some of these theological uh, debates and issues, the five solas, sola be Latin for alone or, or, you know, solitary, scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, the glory of God alone. And so the, the Reformation, all of a sudden now you've got a whole set of believers who are not Eastern Orthodox. They are kicked out of the Roman Catholic Church and yet they want to continue to be faithful to Christ. And so Martin Luther, he did not intend to start a church or a denomination named after him, not at all. But the Lutherans gathered around the teachings of Martin Luther, the way he interpreted the scripture, the way he would practice the faith and come at it. And so 
Lutheranism develops, okay, kind of in reaction to the Roman Catholic Church. So the Reformation, essentially these theological disagreements uh, over authority of, of the Bible, how to interpret the Bible, leadership, who, who, is, who should we follow, uh, what structure, what order of, of religious authority should we follow, um, you've got the scriptures, what role do the scriptures play, you've got uh, debates around the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, and there are questions about salvation by grace, are works involved in some way, that is if someone does not demonstrate a faithful life, um, we talked about this in James, right, you know, faith without works is dead, and so there are these theological debates and some issues of practice, belief, and behavior that lead to the formation of various branches, okay? Just for lack of any other term, I call a denomination a, a branch. And so you've got the Lutherans, you've got the Anglicans, they kind of set up in England, and Henry uh, declares them safe, King Henry declares himself the head of the church. You have the Presbyterians, um, uh, so Anglican traces to like England, right? The Presbyterians, just from the Greek word presbyteros, uh, presbyter, elder, <clears throat> so elder-led, no, no longer bishops, okay, Roman Catholic Church, uh, Eastern Orthodox teach bishops, they invest a lot of authority with an individual hierarchically. The Presbyterians say, no, we want to elect people of good Locally, we choose our elders. They are people of good uh, character. And so our form of government traces to that movement. Um, the Baptists, they believe not in infant baptism, paedo-baptism, but, but you must have believer baptism. So the Baptists, the Anabaptist Baptists, the Methodists <clears throat> uh, began to follow John Wesley and others. There was a method of forming disciples. They would get in essentially small group ministry and there was a series of questions, the little holy clubs or holy bands that would meet, we would call them small groups. And there were a series of questions that would be asked and they would methodically uh, train themselves and be disciplined into a faithful life of, of Christ. And so um, you've got uh, Others, Mennonites and Amish following the, the teachings of, is it Jacobus Menos? Okay. The Amish, the Quakers, uh, the Brethren. Um, in recent centuries and decades, you've got the Pentecostal movement, charismatic movement. Um, you have non-denominational churches. There's kind of churches now that form that are completely independent of any denomination. They're not Methodist, they're not Lutheran, they're not Presbyterian, they're not Baptist. They may teach some of those beliefs and practices, but, but we're not associated with any other denomination. We are completely independent, and that's a feature of American church life. Um, predictably, so much individualism. We, we highly value individualism, freedom, and independence uh, in our society, and so the church, certain churches take on that shape. So, from the beginning, Jesus comes in a time when Judaism has various sects or branches or 
um, denominations who differ on interpretation of, for the Jews, it would be what we call the Old Testament. So the law of Moses and certain practices. So you've got that. So it's always belief and behavior. Early church, I follow Paul, Apollo, Cephas, belief and behavior. Um, you know, the Roman Catholic Church establishes, you know, it's kind of one church. And then there begins to be tension about belief and behavior. Okay. The issues typically are around authority, the scripture, and how we practice, how we will order our shared life together, right? Those are the issues. And so eventually we get to a situation where it's not just a couple branches, but you really have, um, you know, Jesus talked about the mustard seed that forms, you know, the smallest seed becomes this bush or this tree with many branches. And I, I really think that's almost what we're talking about. If we think of it, there's just one church. But it, but it appears in many branches off of the trunk of Jesus Christ and the teaching of the apostles. You've got all these different branches. And, you know, through the seasons of the year, they flourish and bloom and blossom and the leaves turn color and there's some, you know, the leaves fall off. So if you picture a tree, the Christian tree has many branches and I just like to say, I think every branch of the Christian church, every local Christian body of believers, whether they show up in storefronts or sanctuaries or great cathedrals or gathering underground or around campfires, you know, wherever the church shows up, wherever believers show up around Jesus, every branch is trying to be faithful. Everyone's trying to be faithful. The question is, can we learn to, to enjoy the, the, the goodness and pleasantness of dwelling in unity? Can we honor one another across the denominational boundaries? Hey, you're in a different branch. God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. Let's follow Jesus, right? We may have differences around how we think following Jesus is best to be accomplished. So, a very brief history. I've skipped over much. I've maybe gotten some things wrong. So, Go, go do the fact checked on everything. But basically, it's something like this. Okay, so now we live in 2022 and Greenwich gathers and we teach and preach and practice. We believe and behave. And our denomination teaches, preaches, practices, behaves, you know, belief and behavior. And, and what we're going to talk over the next several days uh, into next week's is to how to think more deeply, kind of let, let's drill down a little bit more on the particulars of our situation. So this is part of the workshop of disagreement. As followers of Jesus, can we learn to respect and honor? Can we, can we honor those with whom we may differ but can we do so in, in a way that, that, that acknowledges there's a larger reality that, that does bind us together in unity and in agreement? Okay, so let me stop there. Uh, we'll pray and we'll, we'll pick up again tomorrow and go a little bit deeper, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this new day, the mercies which greet us afresh. May we live into a greater fullness 
of uh, the character of Christ in our lives, the manner in which we conduct ourselves, carry ourselves, how we speak and act, how we believe and behave towards one another within the, the Greenwich family and then with others beyond the Greenwich family, fellow Christians, and then beyond the Christian family itself with those who are outside the faith. May we behave with, with dignity, with humility, with compassion and kindness, so to show ourselves to be the followers of Jesus, in whose name we pray and who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, may God give you a, a, a spirit of unity in your home, your place of work, with those that you play with and work with and labor with and fellowship with and eat with and worship with. How good and pleasant it is when we dwell in unity. May, may you know that this day and forevermore. Amen.